couple of weeks in a series called Between the Directories. And as I came here a little over a year ago, I was handed a directory and told, look through this and you'll get to know some of the faces and names. And, and then as I began digging around, which I do every once in a while when I get bored here during the day, I just go digging around and see what I can find. I found a box full of some old directories. And since I've begun this series, I've been handed some more of those. And now I go all the way back, I believe, into 1972-ish, something like that. I looked at one earlier from 1977 and told some of our members, I said that at that time, January of 1977, when that was produced, I was in my mother's womb. And I said, so we'll just let that be put into perspective for some of you. And so anyway... But between those directories, a lot happens. Maybe if you've taken the opportunity over the last couple of weeks, maybe it's piqued your interest and you've gone back and looked at maybe directories that you've had from here or maybe just some old pictures. And you say, you know, how, how amazing it is how things change. A lot happens between those directories. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about marriage and how that is certainly one thing that maybe from one directory you were uh, maybe on your own or, li- or living with your parents. And in the very next directory, three to four, maybe five, ten years later, you were married. And there you were together with a new family. Last week we talked about the very difficult subject of divorce and how maybe in one picture there was a family that you once knew. And in the next picture, that family is different, torn apart by divorce. And this morning we'll talk about children, your children, my children, our children, all of them together. And they certainly happen between the directories. And sometimes um, several of them, sometimes just a few, sometimes just enough, sometimes enough to drive you crazy, sometimes enough to make you laugh and and all of that. But kids certainly happen between those directories. I want to take a look this morning at what the Scripture has to say about that. But I I thought it was interesting. I came across something this week. And the goals, obviously, of what we do here for our children is to help them gain biblical knowledge. Help them understand what does the Bible say? What are some of the stories that God has chosen to use and some of the people that God has chosen to use to speak to us and to help us understand about life and what it is that he wants from us? And I came across this, which I believe to be true, at least I hope it is, and if it's not, it's funny anyway. A kid's Bible exam goes to show you, as we'll see, that we need to repeat over and over some of these stories. Here's one answer. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis God got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. That was an answer. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. (laughs) Noah built an ark, which the animals came onto in pairs, P-E-A-R-S, pairs. Moses led the Hebrews to the Red Sea, where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. It's amazing. The Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. Afterwards, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. The fifth commandment is to humor thy father and mother. And the seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. The kid said it, not me. Another one, Moses died before he ever reached Canada. That's true. It's not, you know. Then, Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. David was a Hebrew skilled at playing the liar, L-I-A-R, liar. He fought with the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 
concubines. Concubines, portrait, I'm not sure. Anyway, the people who followed the Lord were called the 12 decibels. The epistles were the wives of the apostles. One of the apostles was St. Matthew, who was by profession a taxi man. Tax collector. Anyways, St. Paul cavorted to Christianity, which means he came happily. He preached holy acrimony, which is another name for marriage. A Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. I didn't say it, the kids said it. Don't get me in trouble with my wife, okay? So it's obvious there are things that we need to repeat to our children to help them gain biblical knowledge. But you know, biblical knowledge in and of itself is not what we're aiming for, although it helps to, to point us to God. Obviously, many of us today have lots and lots of biblical knowledge. And some of us today, despite that biblical knowledge, fail to see the connection between what that biblical knowledge should do then for us, which is to lead us on a path of obedience to God. And so we all need to know about how to raise kids God's way. And we have two choices to make when we go about that. You can go on a personal hunch. You can say, well, this is sort of the way I was raised, and it kind of worked out for me. I turned out okay. Or you can say, well, you know, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, our goal has been, and the goal here at Home Grove, is to yield ourselves to the authority of only one thing, and that is God's Word. What does God have to say? about how to raise kids. And we need to go there first. We need to yield ourselves first to that authority and let it be our guide. As we look at a study this morning about children and raising children, some of you would say, I am so thankful that I am way past that stage of life. Let somebody else do it. That's why you have kids when you're young. I've heard that over and over. My parents have told me that. After a couple of days with my kids, and they're worn out, my parents are, my kids are still going, and they say, that's why you have kids when you're young, you know? And so I understand that some of you may be past the point where you have children in your home. Some of you may, may be right in the middle of it. You came today just hoping for something. Please. Listen, my kids are crazy. Can you help me? I wish I could. The Bible can. I wish I could because my kids are crazy sometimes too. And some of you, though, we, we look and we say, you know, all of us are involved because some of you still have influence over children in some way. You have Maybe children in your home or grandchildren or a neighbor or a friend or a, a set of nephews or nieces or somebody in your life. All of us, as we have, as we have seen today, have children that we are influencing and impacting, whether you realize it or not, here at church. And so all of us have a part to play in this. So I want to show you a couple of passages that highlight the responsibility that parents have with their children. First of all, if you've got your Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Over the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible... No big deal. I encourage you to bring it each week. I think there's something special about being able to follow along and actually look at the Scripture as we read it together. But if you didn't, no big deal. We'll have these on the screen behind me as we move forward. But Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is a, a verse. Verse 1 is a, a verse that parents love. I love this verse. It's great. Children, obey your parents. Love it. We just stop there. Paul just stopped there. It'd be great. Love it. In the Lord, because this is right. Honor, this is another great verse. Honor your father and mother, absolutely, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. Now, here's, here's where it gets tough because Paul doesn't just put it on the kids and fathers or parents in general. Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In a family, each person has a role to play. Children, 
are to obey, to honor, to do the best they can, to be raised as good children, and the, the parents are to train and to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Another passage, this isn't just a New Testament thing, this is a whole Bible thing. Another passage in, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, way over in the Old Testament. Just to show you that this is all connected and that really Paul is sort of filling out more of, of what the Old Testament was about when it came to parenting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Moses is giving the people a reminder of what the law of God was. Here's what the statutes, the, the ordinances, here's what God says. Then he says in verse 7, repeat them, talking about those laws to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so you see sort of in this that there are some key words. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When, when he talks, Moses does in Deuteronomy, talking about teaching your children, training them, repeating the scriptures to them. I believe that all points to one overarching principle that I want you to remember and use as your guide if you are a parent who has children in your home or if you are simply an influencer over children, being here at church or those who may visit your home. I want you to get this and make sure that you write it down there on the back of your bulletin. Here is the main responsibility for Christian parents. And this is it. To train children to have a biblical world view. The main responsibility for Christian parents is to train children to have a biblical worldview. The main responsibility is not to make them happy. The main responsibility is not to train them to be productive or good citizens, or to get a good job one day, or to go to the best school possible. The worldview that they have is absolutely primary, and we Unfortunately, as parents, and in particular as Christian parents, we often settle for something different. We settle for just having them make good grades, or just not making the mistakes that you made, not making the mistakes that I made. We settle for those things. Look, if I can just get my kids through this stage of life without them killing each other or me, we'll all be happy. And we settle for things like that. We settle for them just getting a good job, or maybe just being generally a good kid. I believe that the Bible points to something far more important than just helping them be a good kid, than just helping them be a productive citizen one day. And I believe it's that we must train them to have a biblical worldview. And you say, okay, well, what is that? What is a biblical worldview? Let me give you my definition of this. I've, I've just sort of put together a bunch of stuff. Here's my definition of a biblical worldview. It is this. It's an approach to life in which a person's beliefs, convictions, Decisions and actions are governed by biblical truth. It's an approach to life in which a person's beliefs, convictions, actions, decisions are governed by biblical truth. Now, sort of let that sink in just a little bit and imagine how that should play out in your life, in the life of your child or children, where everything about you is governed by biblical truth, not by personal hunches or your gut feeling, but by what the Bible says. And you can see just in saying that that there are probably very few people in our world that you can identify that operate according to this. Well, just follow your heart. Just go with your gut feeling. problem is, your heart, the Bible says, is stained by sin. And unfortunately, if you follow it too far, you're going to wind up on the wrong path. 
So we have to have something outside of ourselves that we can follow, and that is the Word of God, biblical truth. The importance of this is that your worldview answers all the big questions of life. Is there a God? Why am I here? If there is a God, what does He want from me? What happens when you die? Your worldview, the way that you see the world, answers all of those questions. And obviously, if your worldview is based on biblical truth, then you have the right answers to those questions. Your worldview it governs and decides what decisions and actions and habits and eventually the character that you have. The way that your children learn to approach life now, understand this, if you are a parent right now and still have influence over your children in a very real way, if you're still paying their bills, you have influence. Understand it. Just, just pull that card out of them every once in a while if you need it. You probably already have. Look, as long as I'm paying your bills, well, you're going to abide by my rules, right? No. As long as, as long as you're paying the bills, you have influence. And so understand that the way they approach life now and learn to approach life now will follow them, and it will shape the rest of their lives. And, and you say, well, that, that's pretty extreme. It is, and it's true. The way that you view the world now is probably the way that you learned to view the world over the last however many years of your life. Probably the way you were trained as a child or as a teenager or maybe a college student or a young adult. That's how now you view the world. And so the way they learn to approach life now will follow them and shape them the rest of their lives. A biblical worldview provides great benefits. Uh, Later on, Joshua will be told, look, if you follow and obey God's word, you'll have success wherever you go. God's presence will always be with you. Children who learn to have a biblical worldview, teenagers that learn to have that biblical worldview, will have success in their lives. Does that mean that they'll be rich and famous? That's not what biblical success is all about. But it means they will have the presence of God with them. His favor will rest on them. And they will gain wisdom. And they'll gain right living, as Deuteronomy 6, verse 25 says. They'll gain strength. Understand, their biblical worldview will affect who they decide to marry. Their marriage, the strength of it, the weakness of it, will depend on how they view the world. If they have a biblical worldview, they'll have no regrets in life, or very few of those. They'll have God's protection and His provision. And so we see that this biblical worldview of life is not compartmentalized. It's not just what I do at church or when I'm around other folks who go to my church. It is everything and all-inclusive. It is all things in life, all of life based on the Bible. And the truth is, everybody has a worldview. There are some who have a secular worldview that sort of go along with what popular culture might teach you, and largely that is that you are an accident of nature. You do not come to be simply because somebody loved you and created you, that you just happened. And as a result, you really don't matter, and there's nothing beyond this life, so why not live it up now? That's the worldview that many people take. The opposite is a biblical worldview where it says that you do matter, that God formed you and shaped you before you were even born. That he loves you, and he sent his son to die specifically for you and me, and that there is life beyond what we see here. As Joseph sang about, there is life beyond what we have here, and there is hope. You can see those worldviews are completely opposed to one another. This morning, I want to focus primarily on this passage from Deuteronomy 6. So if you've got your Bible, leave it open to Deuteronomy 6. A little bit of background very briefly on this. Moses is getting the people ready to finally enter the promised land. This had been promised to them for years and years and years and years, and they are finally ready to go and take over this incredible land that God was giving to the Israelite people. 
The thing about it is, though, is Moses, if you know the story, was disallowed from entering the promised land because he'd been disobedient to God. So this is his last shot. He's got one opportunity to tell them, here's all. If, listen, if I had one last sermon to preach, Moses says, here it is. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. He tells them all the stuff about Israel's history. Don't forget what God had done. Remember this. And here are the laws again, just in case you've forgotten over the last 40 years, wandering around in the desert. Here it is. And so you can imagine he's making sure his words count. It's sort of like sending your kids off to college if you've had the opportunity to do that. And sort of packing all the stuff that they need. And maybe you realize that, that in those last few moments, well, what do I need to say to them? Well, if I only had one thing I could send, what would it be? Moses is sort of at that point. And so what we receive from him is instruction from that vantage point. We'll also get instruction specifically for parents. Moses could have said a lot of things to his spiritual children at this point. He could have told them, look, when you go into this land, it's going to be incredible. So make sure you find a good job with a good retirement plan that you can, that you can stay at a while. Or when you go there, let me tell you, look, you're going to need to know how to get, get along with these foreign people just a little bit. They're, they're different than you, and you're different than them. So let me give you some instructions on, on how to deal with them. There's a lot of things. But what he tells them is how to have a biblical worldview. He tells them the law of God. Because he knows if their beliefs, convictions, decisions, and actions are governed by biblical truth, that it won't matter really for the rest of the stuff because it will work itself out because they'll be in tune with God. And just like Moses did, you have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to pack into the lives of our children, your children, the ones that we influence, what they need to live a life that pleases God. We have that opportunity, and I hope we can find that today. And so fulfilling that responsibility involves making sure that our kids, yours, mine, and ours, have all that they need to live that life. Let me give you two things that I believe no kid should leave home without. Two things that no kid should leave home without. The first is this. The first is God glasses. God glasses. Now, I've been walking around here all morning without my contacts in. And so if I look like I'm squinting to see you in the back, it's because I am, because I can't see you in the back. But I wanted to see what it would be like if I walked around all morning with sort of blurred vision. Now, I haven't tripped over anything yet, which is good. And I don't think that I've completely ignored someone because I couldn't see them from a distance. But I have been a little bit fuzzy all morning. And so if I put, though, hey, if I, are you guys in the back? I can see you now. Wonderful. Good looking people back there. All right. Good to see you. If I put on my glasses, then I see things, obviously, with clarity. And it's not fuzzy anymore, and life is a little bit clearer for me. I believe if you refer back to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says in verse 5, Love God with all that you are. And then he says to the parents, Teach your kids all these things. Teach your kids to love God with all that they are so that everything they see comes through their God glasses. They see the world through God's eyes. He says right on the doorpost, on your gate, so everywhere your kids go, they're constantly seeing the world through God's eyes. What if each kid left our homes, left our church with a set of God glasses through which they see the world? They're not guessing. They're not walking around fuzzy anymore. They are seeing the world through God's eyes. Moses insisted that parents help children see the world that way. So that's one thing that they need. I want you to turn with me 
We're going to actually just look there at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. And I'm going to give you the second thing here in just a second. Let's look at the scripture. Moses says to them, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, so life is going to be good. You're going to experience lots of new things. Be careful, he says, not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him and take your oaths and his oaths. So, so total devotion to God. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. It means he wants your devotion. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and wipe you off the face of the earth. That's comforting. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Carefully observe the commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and statutes he has commanded you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you may prosper and so that you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give your fathers by driving out all your enemies before you as the Lord has said. Here's the idea. They were about to embark on something they had never experienced. Most of them, if not the overwhelming majority of them, had wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Literally the desert. What was supposed to be an 11-day journey turned into 40 years. They grew up in the desert. They're about to enter a land full of incredible opportunity. Full of things that, that they have no idea how to deal with. Sort of sounds like when kids leave the home, correct? They've never done that. They, they don't know what real life is all about. Now, if you argue with them, they'll tell you they do. But... Sad to say, they don't. I didn't. Still wondering sometimes. But Moses said, look, you're going to experience some things that you really don't know how to deal with. And the most important thing you can do is to not forget God and not give yourself over to false teaching and serving other gods. The second thing they need, not only God glasses, but they need a baloney detector. A baloney detector. Just write it down. Now, I happen to have one with me this morning. Sounds sort of like this. How about that? Here, you might have woke up. Okay, right. Let me do it again for those that are still kind of wondering what that was. It's snoozing here. Here we go. Okay, it's supposed to work. Okay, there we go. He says, "Don't follow other gods. Don't forget the teaching of the Lord your God." They need something inside of them. Our children do. When they go to school. And when they leave the home, and when they're in a job, and when they're introduced to things, that something inside of them beeps when something contradicts the Word of God. A baloney detector. No, 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 that's baloney. That's not true. And something inside of them beeps every time they encounter that teaching that is contrary to what God's Word says. They need something inside of them. They need to know the Word of God in such a way that there's something that just says, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. Or when they're faced with a situation and a pressure, they immediately say, wait a minute, something's wrong with this situation. Or when they're in a group of friends and, and they, they're trying to figure out who it is that they should be around and let influence them, there's something about those people that if it's not right, that something should be inside of them. And they say, wait, hold, hold on just a second. Something's wrong with this situation. Some of us grew up with that sort of mentality, with that instilled in us. And immediately you just, oh, hold on a second. Something's wrong. 
I don't agree with that because it doesn't come from the Bible. That's not true. Some of us, on the other hand, didn't. And you just had to make it up as you went. And you are a product now of not having that little detector inside of you. And you've wandered through life. And unfortunately, we set up many of our children to just wander through life without having that thing inside of them that says, well, wait a minute. I don't agree. I don't think that's right because I remember what I was taught. I remember the principles. I'm not going to forget my God or give myself over to other teaching. And so obviously this begins with them being transformed by a relationship with Jesus, not just by knowing biblical stuff, but by having Jesus live on the inside of them and them submitting and yielding themselves to him in all things. So those two things, if you're going to anything for your kids, to send them out into the world, pack God glasses and a baloney detector, pack them in there. And that has nothing to do with anything you can physically put in their hands. Some of us are trying to buy our kids Spiritually develop our kids, I believe, is what God wants us to do. So those two things, that's the target, that's the goal. It involves each of us. It begins with the parents who have the primary responsibility, but church, it involves all of us. We cannot ignore our collective responsibility, not just to give our kids biblical knowledge, but to train them to wear those God glasses and to have that internal detector. That's our responsibility. So how do we do it? I want to give you three things today. Three steps, basically, that you can take as a parent or as an influencer of children to hit that target, to develop in them the God glasses and the baloney detector. There are lots of approaches you can take to parenting. You can be a cop. You're always just trying to find out what they're doing wrong. You can be the judge. You're just sentencing them all the time, putting them on restriction. You know, you messed up again. Boom. Third time you're out, you know, and all that. You can be their friend. Just a buddy, kind of hang out, don't do things together and all that kind of stuff. So you can be their coach and just cheer them on and hope they do well. I believe the proper approach, though, and as we'll see in these steps, the proper approach to parenting, I believe, is that of a loving leader. A loving leader. Your kids don't need more friends. They have plenty of friends. They don't need another coach. They play sport, they've got a coach. They need a loving leader. And it's both. Sometimes leaders aren't very loving. Sometimes people who are loving can't lead anybody. It's got to be both. And so here's the way that we do that. How are we to be those loving leaders? First thing is this. Start with you. Start with yourself. Start with yourself. If we're going to hit that target in our children that we influence, start with yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says it this way. Moses talking to all the people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. It starts with the parents. He then goes to say, teach them to your children. But he says it has to start with you. So today, evaluate your own life. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, an influencer of children, think about it for just a second. It may be a very convicting thought. Do you have a biblical worldview on your own? Does it start with you? Are your thoughts and your decisions and your beliefs and convictions and your actions, are they governed by biblical truth? Is that your default? Is that your point of reference? If it's not, you're going to struggle to instill those things in your children. You're just going to struggle because they will see one thing and hear another, and that does not go together. You've been there and know what I'm talking about. I've been there too. So it has to start with you. So learn the Bible. Begin to read it. One of the goals I've got for our church in 2010 is that every person would read the Bible all the way through. All the way through. Just read the whole thing. It's a lot of reading. I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Learn the Bible. Internalize it. He says to be in your heart. 
not just in your head, but in your heart. And then he goes on to talk about how it's to be lived publicly. Our country is unfortunately on a trend where religious belief and activity and faith and so on is now just supposed to be a very private matter. Well, you just keep that to yourself. It really shouldn't affect anything. You shouldn't really live that out. And that is completely contradictory to biblical Christianity. It is to be lived out. So start with you. And at the same time that you're working on yourself, you must obviously also direct your attention to your children and then get the next thing, which is this. Take charge of what influences your kids. If you are a parent, specifically children in your home, take charge of what influences your kids. Both Ephesians and Deuteronomy put the responsibility on the parents to be the influencers of their kids. Moses didn't say, look, when you get into that land, or parents, here's what I want you to do. Just just make sure your kids have got some good Christian friends, and just turn them loose. That'll be good. Or make sure they go to church, and get them involved in the youth group or in the children's ministry. Hey, that's enough. He says, no, no, you are the influencer. You must take charge of them. I want to challenge you, parents. Do this no matter what. If you're still paying the bills, no matter how old they are, take charge of what influences them. Your parents are teenagers. It's going to be tough. The question will be, will you endure the pain to begin to see your children shaped according to a biblical worldview? For those of you that have younger children, it'll be tough, but not as tough as it will be later on. And so if you have children that you influence, take charge of those responsibilities and evaluate every one of those influences according to your biblical worldview. Do those influences contradict the biblical worldview that that is based on truth from the Bible? For example, the television. We all know what the influencers are. It's not a secret. Television. You realize that the, the company, Viacom, that, that owns Nickelodeon and, and Nick Jr. and does all that kind of stuff, also owns MTV and Comedy Central. And do you not think that under the same umbrella that there is at least some opportunity that I like to hook your kid and lead them down that path? Just don't be naive. Am I trying to say, well, you should just throw your television out the door? I'm not trying to get legalistic. But I want to help you see where wisdom is in understanding and knowing more about what is influencing your kids and where it's going to lead. There are some themes in certain children's shows that are not for kids. Plain and simple. We've got to be wise to those things. We can't be foolish. So parents, take charge of that influence. The Internet, the phone, all those things are influencers. Do you know what your kids are doing on the Internet and on the phone? Do you know? Well, I hope you do. Keep, keep track of that. I hope there's some accountability there. I hope it's an open conversation. The, the teachers your kids have are a huge influencer. Do you know what they're teaching? Do you know their names? Have you met them in any way? They're friends, obviously. Parents, you can, you can take charge of the friends your kids have simply by starting with just knowing their names and who their parents are. That'll tell you a lot. Just know their names and know who their parents are. Church is another major influencer. Encourage your parents get involved. If you're not already, get involved. Be with our student ministry, children's ministry. Jump in and get involved and see what's going on. And so parents are responsible to take charge of those influences, which may mean that you limit exposure to certain things or certain people. It means that you don't allow those negative influences to take roots in their hearts and minds. It means if they encounter something that's an ungodly teaching, then you quickly follow it up with biblical truth. We've got to do that with our own children every once in a while. If somebody sees on TV and says, wait a minute, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Let me tell you. That's what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 6 implies also that the parents are to be there. Let me talk to the dads that are here specifically because I struggle with this. If you're a dad, 
Let's do all that we can to be all there when we're there. It is so easy to work and work and work and be identified by that. And I listen, I, I don't speak from a point of strength here this morning. I struggle with that. I struggle sometimes to be all there, so to speak, even when I'm at home, not fully engaged with my children, my family. Let's challenge one another, encourage one another, hold one another accountable to say, when we're home, we're not doing anything but being engaged with our family and being all there. Deuteronomy 6 implies that. Also, that, that we are intentional. That this, it doesn't just happen, that we're available also, that we're not lazy or just hoping they get it, but it's different than that. So young people, some of you today are saying, wait a minute, you know, you're telling my parents to do something that they've never done or that they're going to take to like the fullest degree. You don't understand my parents. You understand what they're going to do as a result of you saying all that today. Let me tell you this. Your responsibility, what gives you hope in the world, what gives you the chance to make it and to be the person that you really, really in your heart want to be, is a biblical worldview. And God has placed in your life authorities, people that are leaders in your life to help lead you toward that. I would challenge you and encourage you, if you're a young person still living at home, to see your relationship with your parents as a partnership in which they are there to be the loving leader and you are there to follow their lead and together grow more toward what God wants you to be. Because if you view them as simply the judge or the cop, the ruler or something like that, then this is going to get sideways pretty quick. But if you see your responsibility as one to receive the instruction that God has given you through your parents, and you have the opportunity to be extremely successful in life. The last thing is this. Never stop teaching. Never stop teaching. Not only do you start with yourself and say, okay, do I have a biblical worldview as a parent, as an influencer of children? And am I taking charge of those influences in my kids' lives? But never stop teaching. What does it say in Deuteronomy? Again, verses 7 and 9, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Everywhere you go, never stop teaching. It's all the time, everywhere, about everything, over and over and over again. Instill that biblical truth into their minds. Drill it into them. The Bible talks about impressing it, almost like an engraving into their minds and hearts to help them understand what God says is the best approach to life, that it's total devotion and obedience. Pass on what you know. Pass on what you have learned. Put them in environments where biblical truth is taught. But all that, understand all that that you push them to will be, it should be, and it will be secondary to what you are personally teaching them. It will all be secondary. And so take nothing for granted. Look for those teachable moments at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we won't read all the verses, but Moses says, look, when your kids ask you, what's the deal with all this stuff about God? What's the deal with all of this? You're to tell them the story. Help them understand what God has done. So look, parents, for those teachable moments when they're just simply asking a question or when they begin a conversation. Look for those teachable moments. Never stop teaching. And as you'll see at the end of your bulletin there, remember your responsibility. Not to make them happy, not to make them good citizens, although that stuff may come, but primarily and above all, train your children to have a biblical worldview. Now, a message like this, there's some unanswered questions because some of you may be a single parent. 
And you say, well, you know, that, that's great. I mean, if, you know, if I had a spouse or something like that, I could, you know, yeah, I could do that. I mean, we partner together. I don't have that. Single parents, let me just challenge you to understand that you are still primarily responsible, but we're here to help. We're here to help. Our church is not here to replace you, not in any way. That should never be our goal as a church, is to replace parents. But we're here to partner with you. So if you're a single parent, you say, look, I'm struggling because I'm trying to do all this on my own. I, I would absolutely love to talk with you. And let's figure out some ways we can do that. How can the church partner with you? How can we help you? Some of you may have shared custody. And you say, well, look, I'm around my kids maybe every other weekend. I see them every once in a while. Or maybe during the summer I get a few weeks or something. Let me challenge you with this and encourage you. Just do all you can when you can. Listen to your kids. Enjoy them. Share experiences with them. Learn about what they're doing when they're not with you. And then when those teachable moments come, interject some biblical truth. Do all you can when you can. Or maybe you say, you know what, my kids are already gone. Well, this message is great. Yeah, hey, good job for all the people that have parents. But you know what? I'm already gone. And you know what? Maybe I feel like I blew it. And maybe I look at my children now and I'm thinking about them and they don't have a biblical worldview. I blew it. Well, I do. In a very real sense, some of us today may just simply need to tell God, look, I, I blew it. I blew it. And God, I, I, I ask for your forgiveness for maybe not instilling in my children what should have been there. I blew it. But I don't want you to stay there because God says that he will restore and forgive and put you back on your feet and then begin to pray that God would give you opportunity even now for those grown children who may have children of their own to just do the best you can to pass on to them a biblical worldview. And then when those grandkids come to your house, treat them as your own and instill them in that biblical worldview, whether their parents are doing it or not. Is that kind of going behind their back? Yeah, absolutely. But i tell you what, I really I think the parents will be okay with instilling a biblical worldview instead of just shivering them up and shaking them up and sending them back home like my, my parents do sometimes. They'll probably listen to this at some point as well and hear that. And so the most important thing that we can pass on to our children, to our grandchildren, to the children in our church, is a biblical worldview. And think about it. Imagine what God could do through a generation of young people, of children, that see the world His way and approach life his way. And so we all want the best for our children, what God wants for them, but it starts with each one of us. You cannot instill a biblical worldview in your children and your grandchildren until you have one yourself. You may not have a biblical worldview yourself until you yourself have admitted, like everybody else, that I am a sinner and I fall way short of God's standard and I am in desperate need of, of his salvation. It all begins with that, asking the Lord Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and be in charge, not just a part, but in charge of it all. And that's where the biblical worldview begins. That's when you put on yourself those God glasses. And that's when you can begin to train your children to do the same thing. And so in just a moment, Joseph is going to lead us in a closing hymn. And we'll stand together and we'll sing together at the very end. But maybe during that time when you say, you know what, I need to pray for my children. I need to pray for my parenting. I need to talk to God about this. 
or maybe for the very first time have realized, you know, none of that's possible unless I first give my life to Jesus to begin with. And maybe that's the prayer you need to pray. Just ask him to come in and be in charge of your life. If you'd like prayer specifically for something, I'll be standing down here. and you're welcome to make your way down front. Spend a moment in prayer. But as we sing and close the service, I want you to evaluate what God has said to you this morning. And then do something about it. Be a parent. Be a child influencer that develops in those children, training them to have a biblical worldview. Won't you stand with me? Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll sing a closing song. Father, it's tough to be a parent. It's tough to raise children to have a biblical worldview, but that's the standard. That's what you've called us to. So Lord, we know that if you call us to it, then you can enable us to do that. So Lord, for the parents who are here today that are struggling, I pray that you give them encouragement and wisdom and strength. For those who feel like they've blown it, but we're thankful for your restoration and for your forgiveness. We pray that from this moment on that we would drive a stake in our lives in the ground and say, from this point on, I will develop as best I can a biblical worldview of my children. So, Lord, as a whole, as a collective body, please help us to train our children to see life and to approach life your way so that all their beliefs, all their convictions, all their decisions, all their actions will be governed by biblical truth and a deep love for Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.